0: If you have a Bible, open it up to uh, the book of 2 Timothy down there at the tail end of the New Testament, if you would, this morning. Um, I wanted to mention to you, the voter guide situation is uh, the uh, web address that's in your bulletin. That has all the voter guide information available if you go to the web address and look it up there. There's also, I guess, um, a link on the church's website if you go to calvarychapelpasadena.com there's a link on our website that will get you to the, the uh, web address of the voter's guide. And uh, so looking forward to that. If you have a cell phone, please take a moment and fix it so that it, it doesn't make noise while we're doing this, this study this morning. God is so good. We're, we were out at uh, in Murrieta for the men's conference until uh, yesterday and the Lord's doing a great work out there. And so please just continue to keep the guys in prayer. The Lord would, bless them and minister to them and encourage their hearts. Pastor Xavier is uh, probably in the, the throes of exhorting the guys right now this morning, but this morning we're going to be actually in 2 in Timothy. So let's take a moment and let's come before the Lord and ask for his blessing this morning. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Lord, Father, we do come before you in the name of Jesus this morning. We want to thank you, Lord, for your grace towards us and Father, your hand at work in our lives. As Father, we, Lord, just want to learn to be sensitive to you, Lord. Learn to, to hear your voice and be responsive to you and allow, Lord, your word to have that impact upon us as you see fit according to your purpose. Lord, guide and direct our thoughts. And Lord, open the scripture to us, Lord, again, by your spirit. Open our understanding to receive instruction from you. And let, Lord, your Holy Spirit guide our thinking, and Lord, even our actions in these days. Lord, these, uh, we live in tenuous times, and the world is changing so quickly. But Father, we look to you. You are our foundation. Lord, you are our strength and our hope for the days to come. That Father, we would be founded upon you, and Lord, draw near to you and allow your purpose to be accomplished. We love you, and Lord, we thank you. We pray for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, this morning we're in 2 uh, Timothy, the part of the text. We're going to look at, kind of glaze through the first chapter talking about the Apostle Paul. But we're going to spend a little bit of time in 2 uh, Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Uh, I wanna talk, but ba- basically, I, I want to talk to you today about your very favorite thing in the whole world. Which, of course, is you. Whether you want to admit it or not, some people will deny that. No. You really are. I want to talk to you about who you are and not your name or what other people think of you. I want to talk to you about who you are in the terms of who God intends for you to be, what his purpose is in your life. I want to talk to you about where you are and not, you know, church on Sunday morning or your location or your address, but where you are in the scheme of God's purpose and then beyond that, what you are here for, specifically. And maybe not what you think you're here for, but what does God think you're here for? And how can we bring those two ideas together? We're going to spend some time considering the words that the Holy Spirit has set down for us for our blessing from the words of the Apostle Paul. And the text, again, from 2 Timothy chapter 2, the beginning of the chapter there, 2 Timothy has been called uh, Paul's last will and testament. You may have heard that before. If you ever look at a Bible commentary, they like to refer to that idea. And for us as believers, it certainly is, because it is the end of all information that we have from the Apostle Paul. And certainly uh, the writing of 2 Timothy took place as Paul was imprisoned in the Mamertine prison in Rome just prior to his death, his execution as a Roman citizen, as he was beheaded somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, Vatican Hill in Rome. And he understood that his life was at an end. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.6, Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I think we can see in the letter that Paul sincerely hoped that the young pastor, Timothy, that he was writing to, he hoped to see Timothy. In chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, not without cause. He says in, in chapter 4, verse 21, Do your utmost to come before winter. And uh, he conveys greetings there at the end of chapter 4 to from the people who were with him in Rome, the believers who were with him there. At the same time, recognize those issues are really out of Paul's control. Like so many things in our lives. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes it seems like everything in my life is outside of my control. That's not true. I do have some measure of control in my life, even though I might not always acknowledge it or see it clearly. I do have some control, but there are a lot of things. Outside, which makes it kind of amazing to me that God can do so much, considering how little control I Obviously, he's got a whole lot more control than I do. We don't really know if Paul ever did see Timothy before his death. We don't know if he receives the, uh, the cloak that he asked for, the parchments and the scrolls that he uh, wanted to receive. Uh, Paul is a fascinating person, guys. He really is. The more you read the New Testament, the more you realize how, what an amazing and fascinating person the Apostle Paul is. We have, we have a great deal of information about him from a number of different sources Uh, More than just about anybody in the New Testament other than Jesus. We have, uh, for instance, the account of Luke in the book of Acts, which a better half of the book of Acts is Luke talking about the ministry of Paul and things that goes on in his life. We have, just briefly at the very end of 2 Peter, we have Peter's comments on the writings of Paul. We have, of course, Paul's testimony of himself and his ministry experience in his letters, which again is almost half of the New Testament right there or approaching that. Paul is unique in a whole bunch of ways as a human being, it seems to me. One of the things that really kind of amazes me, unlike so many people, I think Paul really understood the importance of who he was for the Lord's purpose. I think he understood where he was in God's scheme. Of this world, and I think that maybe more than almost anybody, Paul understood what he was here for, what the purpose of his life was. And some people have no idea about that whatsoever. You talk to them, and it's interesting to me. It seems that the more a person is self interested, the more my attention is on myself, the less I understand who I am and what I'm here for. It doesn't seem like it should work that way, does it? But the more someone is focused on the Lord, the better they understand who they are, where they are, and what they're here for. And I think that really speaks to Paul's situation. He was very focused on the Lord. I think of any person, this guy Paul, if he had less of a conviction of those things for the reason that he was here He very well may have spent his entire life in regret for the terrible things that he had done before coming to Christ. And you couldn't tell him that the things he did were not that bad because it's not true. The things he did were horrific, utterly horrific. In Galatians 1.13, he says, I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and sought to destroy it. In 1 Timothy 1.13, he said he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. In Acts uh, chapter 26, says a bunch of stuff about his life before being, being a Christian as he's talking to uh, Festus and Agrippa. He says, many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. In Acts 26, 11, he says, I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. Being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Now, how would you like to have the faces of those Christians in your head as a believer? Does the enemy ever remind you of stupid things that you did before you were a believer? Yeah. Well, you might say, well, those don't really bother me. It's the things that I've done since that are really a problem. Amen. I, I can hear that. It would have been easy for this guy, Paul, to have seen the first 40 or so years of his life as totally wasted. But I don't think he did. I think he really understood in in seeing the Lord and understanding God's purpose in his life. He saw God's preparation for him. And you may see that as well in the years before you became a believer, the things that you went through. You see how God prepared you and worked in you and developed your heart and your mind to bring you to a place where you can actually You can be effective for the Lord as he directs you and his spirit works inside of you. One of the major points of the warfare that we're involved in here, folks. The enemy wants to give you a reason to quit. He wants to give you a good excuse to not really engage yourself in the purpose of God. See, God's working in your life and his work in your life. It's about a whole bunch of things. I have no idea. But one of the things I know for sure is he wants to work through you for the benefit of other people in a powerful way. He wants to put you in a place where his spirit can touch the lives of other people. And the enemy wants to give you an excuse to turn away from that, to quit. And he can come up with some pretty good ones. I look at you. You know, why would God want to use you? Be serious. You're a fill. Look at the people that God really uses. You know, you're not. Come on. The thing about Paul, the thing about Paul is that his take on God's purpose, his understanding of God's purpose in his life was so totally from the throne of God that he understood, like few men do, who he was. He understood from God's perspective who he was in the grace of Christ. He understood where he was, God's purpose going forward in his life, and he understood what he was for, so much so that all of his failures before Christ coming to Christ, paled by comparison. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, what does he say? Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Doesn't sound like he uh, vacillated much, you know? He didn't wake up some days. Oh, I don't know. No, 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 It's one thing. It's one thing I do. You see the perspective of this, those words over and over and over again in throughout the New Testament, in his ministry, in the book of Acts, in all that he does. You know, we see in Second Timothy, in the first chapter, talking to somebody that he knows like his own family, talking to Timothy, somebody that he lived with and traveled with. He lays out his credentials over again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. uh, He tells Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Puts himself right together with Jesus. My testimony and Christ's testimony. Don't be ashamed. In verse 11 of chapter 1. To which I was appointed. This is my appointment. This is what God selected for me. And you know, you may have made a mistake or two in your life. Even as a Christian. You may have made a mistake, one, or maybe two. You may have made two mistakes, or 734. You may have made a lot of mistakes, okay? But here this morning, between us, let me tell you, you are exactly where God wants you to be. And you've got to embrace that. Because if you hold on to this idea that your failures, in rec- even as a believer, In recent years, if your failures have messed up your course so that you can no longer be who God wants you to be, then you're buying the excuse that Satan wants you to quit on the work that God has called you to. Do you understand that? It's important. You've got to realize that right here, right now, today, you are where God wants you. God knew you were going to be here. He is not surprised. He was not shocked by the failures in your life, even as a believer. And so today, you are in this place where God can use you. And there are only a couple of things that are contingent on that process. And you've got to do what you can do. You've got to be engaged in this process. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And, you know, we don't have, as we read the book of Acts or even in his epistles, we don't hear the long litany of his mistakes and his failures, There were plenty, I'm sure. I have no doubt. Guy was a human being. He made mistakes. But those are not the things that he focused on. He focused on the opportunity and the possibility and why he was here for God every single day. Now, you may say, okay, fine and dandy. You know, this is all Paul blowing his own horn. Yeah, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, but it is his writings. And I mean, it kind of, it reminds me of, uh, Moses in Numbers, chapter 12, verse 3, where Moses writes of himself. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Wow, you better be humble if you're going to write that about yourself. <laughs> That's crazy. But let's take another look at the Apostle Paul, okay? Let's look through the eyes of Luke, also somebody who is a big supporter of Paul. In Acts chapter 19, in the city of Ephesus, God's doing ministry in Ephesus, and the Lord is using Paul. How? Acts 19:11 Now God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul that would be like as opposed to the normal miracles that took place these are unusual miracles so that even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick and diseases left them and the evil spirits went out from them he's doing exorcism with handkerchiefs remote from miles away spirits being this is crazy kind of wish he hadn't done this, really. Because, you know, televangelists, they just seized onto this. I'm going to send you the player cloth. No, these are unusual miracles. Very strange. Something happened while Paul was in Ephesus. There were uh, tons of spiritual activity like there is in our world today. If you'll notice or you keep tabs on such things, exorcisms are Going up exponentially in the Western world right now. They've always been in the animist world, in the third world, in the uh, undeveloped countries. Demon possession is much more common. Why is it not common here? Why don't we see demon possessed people on every block here in the United States? Because in order to do his work, Satan wants you to believe that there is no supernatural world. He wants those people out there on the street to believe that the only things that really exist are are what you can see, feel, hear, taste, smell, touch, and think. That's all that exists. You wake up in the middle of the night, feel like somebody's in your room, hair stands up on the back of your neck. It's just the endorphins in your brain misfiring. It was that pizza you ate. There's nothing there. When stuff flies around the room, you're confused. That didn't happen. Seriously, this is what Satan wants you to believe. He doesn't want to have a high profile. He wants people to think the guy in the red pajamas with a pitchfork. <laughs> it's those kids on Halloween again. Look at them. He wants them to think it's a joke. It's entertainment. That's all it really is. It's not. Spiritual world is real. Spiritual. You guys know that. I'm preaching to the choir. In, In Ephesus, it says, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Now, apparently, there was a closet industry in demon exorcism in Turkey in Ephesus, Southwestern Turkey at this time. And the Jews had the inside track on the business and they were going around trying to cast out demons. And they found that it was effective to use the name of Jesus. Now here in 1914, a specific situation also, there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And uh, they said, actually, We exercise you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And in verse 15, the evil spirit answered and said, well, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? And if you you read the account there in Acts 19, it didn't end well for those guys. It says they ran out of the building naked and wounded. But I want you to think about this. And we don't want to place too much emphasis upon the words of some demonic spirit because demons are liars. And uh, if you ever find yourself in a terrible situation such as that, I hope you don't. Don't talk to them because they will lie to you and mislead you and confuse you. But it is interesting to me that this spirit knew Paul. Jesus, I know. Duh, he's the creator of the universe. Yeah, I know you know Jesus. The book of James tells us that the demons know God and they tremble. But this guy knew Paul. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. That's not nothing. Now, the people in Corinth, in southern Greece, they were kind of confused about Paul. In Second Corinthians 10.10, 10, it says, For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful. But his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Corinthians were confused about a lot of stuff. I think folks, that you and I, I think we need to hold this man in some substantial esteem. He says of himself in Ephesians 3, 8, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given so that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1, again, He identifies himself, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Paul, who is sent out by, I've been sent out by Jesus Christ according to the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. I have been sent from Jesus. That's what the word apostle means, to be sent out. I've been sent from Jesus by the will of God. He doesn't seem to be real timid. He's not vacillating. He's not equivocating on the thing. He knows why he's there and he's not afraid to tell you about it. Doesn't seem real timid. He's not not about to understate the issue. He he tells it like it is. You know, if you're out in Old Town Pasadena on the weekend, you may run into people who are talking to people about Jesus. We actually have a team of people that goes out there and does that on Friday nights and uh, it's pretty awesome stuff. And if if you go up to them and ask them, why do you do this? I like to do that. When people are sharing the gospel, I like to ask them some questions. Why are you out here doing this? And you might get something like, well, you know, me and the wife, we have some free time. We just like to go out and talk to people about Jesus, which is true. That's the truth. Nothing wrong with that. But it's not the truth. You understand? It's true. It's part of the truth, but it's not the truth. The truth, the truth is that God Almighty sent me here to speak to you tonight. Just like God Almighty sent me here to speak to you this morning. That's the truth, the truth. The question is, do you see it as it is? Do you understand it as such? And if you don't, if you don't get that, You don't understand that God placed you here for the purpose of serving him to preach the gospel. Then how on earth is that other person you're talking to going to get it? How are they going to understand it? God has not called us to soft pedal his truth. That's what the modern church does. That's what the postmodern, the emergent church does. Well, you know, hey, we... You know, we're all gathered together. We're in a dialogue today. We got this idea. You know, we, we think it's from God. And so, you know, we just throw it out to you and see what you think. And, you know, we'll run it up the flagpole and see if anybody salutes. And, you know, somebody shoot me quick. Not really. We have law enforcement people here. So. Um, the world is on fire, guys. The world is on fire. Now, In addition to Satan wanting people to believe that he's just some myth from the ancient world that people made up because they're a little crazy or whatever, he also wants you to be so caught up in, I don't know, whatever TV series is going crazy right now that you don't have time to worry about the fact that the world is on fire. The Russian fleet is traveling from Norway to the Mediterranean because they want the Israeli Natural gas sites. Now, it's interesting. You never see that in the news. They don't say, oh, look, the Russian fleet. Everybody's taking photos like it's a photo op or something. You know? They're traveling through the English Channel. Why would they do that? Russia already controls all the natural gas for Western Europe. And they have ideas. Vladimir Putin has ideas. Look at him. He looks like a guy with some ideas. You know, lots of ideas. As opposed to the people who are trying to run our country. I look at them, I don't know if they have any ideas at all. I'm, like, I'm thinking, Lord, for the last three elections, I've been voting against people. Why do I have to do that? And how, what a, It just kind of drives me a little crazy. The world's on fire. And it, we know, right here, not only is the world on fire, but the world is going to go down in flames. That is going to happen. We know it to be a fact. And you and I have got an opportunity. We've got a brief few days here where we can serve the Lord in evacuating some souls, but not by consensus. We're not going to take a vote. How many of you here would like for me, you know, do you really think we ought to go out and preach the God? No, not going to do that. I don't have to take a vote. I don't need a consensus. I've got the truth. The rest of it, the whole rest of it, is just a part of the problem. This letter, Second Timothy, is very, very personal. It's very emotional, very sentimental. More so than maybe any of the other letters of Paul. In, in chapter 1, again, verse 2, To Timothy, a beloved son, without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers, night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. You know, guys, if you can't tell people that you love them. What are you doing here? You know? Say, well, you know, come on, this guy's staring death in the face. Hey, we are all staring death in the face every day. My wife watches these shows on television. They're like mini documentaries on murders and things. I'm like, what's the matter with you? Can we, can we at least watch a fictional murder? I so You're going to watch these real documentaries about people who got just kind of crazy. Anyway, don't tell her I said that, please. Yeah, she's not here, she know. Okay, so she watches these things. I'm watching this thing the other day, and this, this lady is talking about her sister who was killed, and she said, I remember my last words. You know, I said, I'll see you tomorrow. And she says, I'll never say that to anybody again. I'll never say, And I just thought, oh, my gosh. How terrible. If you cannot tell people that you love them. What are you doing here? Figure it out. The truth is stark. Sometimes it's awkward. But it will certainly rock your world. And the truth is why we are here. The truth, it's why I'm alive. It's why I'm drawing breath today. I know for a fact. Paul spends some time in this book reminiscing about the past, which is what old people, it's what we do. You know, the closer you get to the end, the more you think back about the beginning. He spends a good deal of time in the book preaching to himself. He knows that he is at his point of departure. He knows that he is going to die. And I believe the Lord has told him so, even though he doesn't say specifically. But he writes all through the book. He's preaching to himself. Uh, in, in verse 1, according to the promise of life. In verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He tells him uh, Timothy in, in verse 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony of, of the Lord nor of me. In verse 9, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling. In verse 10, Jesus has abolished death. In verse 12, for this reason, I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know of whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he's able to keep what I have committed to him until this day. You guys, you live in a blender. This is a crazy world. There are things going on all the time. And the enemy is trying to get your attention away from God and put it on some other meaningless thing. The best for him would be yourself. Put your attention on yourself and then you'll be all self-absorbed and you... You get confused and distracted. You forget why you're here. You're not effective for what God wants to do. And we do need to preach to ourselves. And that's part of why we read the scripture every day. We read that. We take it in. The spirit speaks to us. We preach to ourselves the truth of the scriptures. We sneak up on chapter two here in second Timothy. We have an understanding that this man is at the point of departure. He's on the dock. The boat's about to sail. He's about to leave. And he is sharing from his heart the most precious and important things to be remembered by those that he is leaving in the heat of the battle. There's a huge battle. He's leaving. These guys are going to be on the front line. And he wants them to be equipped with this truth. He wants them to remember who they are, where they are, and what they are here for. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 you, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul, again, like in chapter, chapter 1, verse 2, he calls him my son. Not because they're from the same family. I think the first time I read through the New Testament, I thought, oh, this is his son. Oh, yeah. But no, they're not. I, Timothy is from Lystra, I believe. And Paul was from Judea, from Jerusalem, tribe of Benjamin, schooled at the feet of Gamaliel. But he, they were family nonetheless, but not in the blood way. Galatians 3.26, he writes, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We are all family in that way. We don't look alike. We don't talk alike. We don't even think alike always. But we have this and we have chosen the same rule. Philippians 3.16 says, Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. This is what we've chosen. Let us be of the same mind. Let me suggest to you, and some of you know this for a fact, as you, you know, Jesus is the divider of families um, in many, many situations. Let me suggest to you that we are stronger than a human family because the force that holds us together is anchored outside of this world. The force that holds me to other believers is anchored outside of this twisted and corrupt world. In John chapter 1, verse 12, the Gospel of John 1, 12, It says, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We are the family of God. We have been born of God. People are all freaked out about the election, you know. Maybe you've noticed. Stay away from your TV. Um. And people really are. And understandably, I, I get it. But you know what? You're a Christian first. You're the family of God. That's your stability. That's your foundation. That's your life. That's where you live. Being a citizen of the United States of America, that's somewhere subordinate to it, down the list. Am I I, I I love this country. I do. You know, it breaks my heart that people... Refuse to stand up during the Star-Spangled Banner because I, I think about all the people who've given their lives to allow them that privilege to play football or basketball or whatever. You know, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of families lost sons in a lot of wars, so that these people are free to do those things. And yet, it's and I see it as pretty horrifically disrespectful. You know, how, how do you, where do you get off? But I'm a Christian first. I'm a Christian first, and then somewhere down the priority list. I'm an American because America is going to go down in flames like the rest of the world. It's going and maybe, maybe a little higher on the priority list as we see things come to pass a little sooner than we'd like. Let me suggest to you that our connection as the children of God is stronger because of that. We are the family of God. Not by blood. You didn't get to choose your earthly family. You didn't get to choose your... You know the Mormons believe that you're alive before you're born and you pick your parents? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. What was the matter with me that day? Oh, boy. Now, I know some of you have great parents. Good job. You know. But... uh, My parents were divorced before I was born, and that was a blessing. That was the best possible outcome of that thing. Whoa, God is good. (laughs) But, you know, God did allow you to choose his family, didn't he? You made a choice. You chose to be a child of God and a part of his family. At the same time, the scripture tells us he's chosen us before the foundation of the world. And I cannot allow this world, this world, this broken world to define who I am. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Romans 8, 14 says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. That's what I want. I want to be led by God's Spirit every day. I want his Holy Spirit to guide me and to direct me. And I'm just like you. I get up some days. It seems like it's just happening beautifully. And other days it's like, what is the matter here? You know, but every day I want to pray when I get up. God, lead me, direct me by your spirit. We are the children of God. We are the children of God. But apparently that fact by itself is not, it's not all that I need. It's a good foundation. It's a great start. The truth is, me as a person, I'm changing every day. I'm not the same guy I was 10 years ago. Thank you, Lord. And I'm not the same person I will be in 10 years. And I'm changing a little bit every day. I will be a different person 10 years from now. And unless I connect what I am to what I wanted, what I need to do in the Lord then basically who I am is kind of up for grabs. If I'm more influenced by the culture, by the entertainment culture, by the world I live in, the people around me who don't know Christ, if I'm more influenced by them than I am by the Lord, then who I am is moving in the wrong direction. Maybe imperceptibly, maybe you don't notice it, but it's moving. Do you ever notice people changing and they don't get it? You ever see people and you go and you can tell you can tell by looking at people sometimes when things are off and they're like what 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 do you mean I'm fine okay okay fine you know we'll play that game if you like you're fine you know and God knows in the first part of uh, verse 1 chapter 2 verse 1 be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong. This phrase shows up about 30 times in the scripture, mostly just people speaking to other people to encourage them. Be strong. Uh, some notable exceptions. Four times in Joshua chapter one, God is telling Joshua, Be strong. And usually accompanied with, and of good courage at the same time. Because, you know, hey, Joshua's in the middle of this huge war. But I got to tell you, I kind of think you're in the middle of a huge war, too. I really believe it. What does it mean when someone tells you to be strong? It means uh, to allow what you have and what you are to operate in your life to the capacity that you are equipped to. It means to do what you can. Now, in our vernacular, in in common language of the day, when when you tell somebody, I do what you can, it means like do the minimum. It means do whatever you feel like. When I say do what you can, I mean do what you can. Do what is possible in the extreme. And that's what being strong is about. The exhortation here is, is here. It's here because people do not do this. People live their lives ignoring, making no benefit from the substance of what they are and the resources that are available to them. They they get discouraged, they get distracted. They fail to take hold, fail to take ownership, fail to operate in a capacity which they have. Be strong is the first step. It's a recognition of what you can do and who you are. Maybe of who you can be. The very best thing that you could ever possibly be in this world. What is that? What is the very best thing that you could ever? It's you as a servant of God. That's it. That is the very best thing that you could ever be. Paul's encouragement is not simply be strong. There's a little bit more to it. In the second half of the verse, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And there are really two important ways we need to think about this idea of being strong in grace. The first should be being strong in grace for ourselves, the grace that's in Christ. We understand the word grace is the Greek word charis. And you may know this uh, word from which we get charisma, or charismatic. But the meaning in the Old Testament context is favor from God, which everybody would like to have. Everybody would like to have favor from you. Even atheists who don't believe in God, they would like to have favor from God. They favor from God that you don't deserve. Okay, that's grace. That's what it means now. Maybe you know that, but there may be people here who don't. Favor from God that you don't deserve. Not only do you not deserve it, check it out. Not only do you not deserve it, you cannot earn it. You can never qualify for it. It's grace. You've been saved by faith through grace. You cannot earn it. You cannot qualify for it. It is grace from God. It is his favor upon you. We understand favor that's not earned cannot be earned. So Paul is asking Timothy, and he's also asking me and you by inference here, To be strong in the favor that comes from God. Favor that we don't deserve. And this is a very important idea. People that are practicing religion. Instead of having a relationship with Christ. People that practice religion. They have this impulse to earn God's favor and his forgiveness. Whether it's Buddhism, Islam, Catholicism. Whether they're Presbyterians. They go to the Episcopal church. Some people go to a Calvary chapel. I guarantee you there are people coming to this church that are trying to earn God's forgiveness by being good. God help you read the Bible. It's not there. The only way you can be saved is by God's grace that you will never ever deserve. You cannot work hard enough. You will never be good enough. Not one person in the history of the world can do it. Romans 3:23 tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. All means all, and that's all all means. Billy Graham, the Pope, Mother Teresa, Soupy Sales, we're all sinners. It's true. They're old people back there. We've all sinned. We will never deserve it. What religion does for people, if we call it that, what it does to them, probably more accurate, it puts people in a situation where they are working 24-7 for God's favor and never getting there. Now, they do interesting things like they play little games in their head. Oh, yes, I'm a godly person. They know they're not. They know they're not. They know they're liars. I love that bumper sticker. It says, I know you're lying. I can see your lips moving. We are all liars. Sometimes you lie on purpose. Sometimes you lie by accident. But you're a liar. I'm sorry. It's true. I mean, you know, it is. They play these games. It's a hamster wheel. Religion is a hamster wheel. You're never going to get there. By contrast, grace sets me free to be who I really am, to recognize my failures. It's so cool. I just love it. Xavier stands up here in front of people and he admits that he's a failure and a sinner, that he doesn't deserve to go to heaven. I, I taught high school over there, for the, the high school kids, for 20 years. I told them, Pastor Xavier over there, he deserves to go to hell. They all oh. But they need to understand that. They need that so that they can say, well, gee, maybe God could save me. And if I come out here in a robe and it looks like I'm just kind of gliding over the, and I just, God, you know, what are you going to think? You're going to think, wow, I could never be a Christian. I mean, that's what I thought when I was a kid, when I saw that stuff. And it's a lie from hell. I am no different than you. I am no different. God help us. But the thing is, is that understanding grace allows me to be myself, to be who I really recognize my failures so God can start working on them. And then I get to see God's amazing nature that he had invented and devised and engineered this way to save us. The only way that we could be saved. It's amazing that he qualified for us as Christ died on the cross. He qualified for us to be accepted in the beloved, to be a part of the body of Christ, to be the child of God. Now, do we as Christians with a relationship with Christ, do we ever feel compelled to try and earn or deserve God's favor? Yeah, that happens. Sure. This is one of the reasons that Paul tells Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The question comes up. Because of our devious minds, the way our minds work. Well, wait a minute now. If I don't have to be good, if my goodness is not part of my being accepted by God as a believer, then... Why are we being good? And hopefully the answer is because we want to. You see, God wants you to do what you want to do. Crazy as that sounds, God wants you to do what you want to do. But he wants you to want to do what's good for you. And this is good for you. This is it. If you compromise the way of truth with your life, you make you continue to make decisions that draw you away from the truth of Christ, sooner or later you will arrive at a place where you are so alienated and separated from the truth that you will lose all hope that God can save you. You will no longer believe. Your sin will be so large in front of your eyes that you will no longer believe the death of Christ on the cross qualifies you to be his child. That Christ can forgive you. You will lose that if you continue to compromise the truth. How many times have you seen it happen in the lives of people? There are consequences to the things that we do. If we contradict the command of God, we're separating ourselves from God's goodness. And because we want to follow what the Bible teaches, we want to be the followers of Jesus from the inside, not just on the outside, like religious people. And this is this is what the Scripture teaches, cover to cover, to be engaged to the grace of God in ourselves. First Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, gird up your minds for action. Keep sober in your spirit. Be clear. Understand. Fix your hope completely. Notice, not partially, not mostly. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not on your good works. Not on your good looks. Not on your ability or what other people think of you. Or place your hope entirely on the grace to be revealed at the revelation of Christ not what organization you belong to, not because I go to Calvary Chapel. Be strong in the undeserved favor, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The second way that we need to be strong in the grace that's in Christ is towards other people. That is to follow God's grace to influence and affect the way that I see other people and that I embrace God's grace concerning those who have missed the mark by my estimation. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Now, that's not to say that I'm going to compromise concerning conduct that's against the Scripture. I still have a responsibility to confront people when they get out of whack. Why? Because I love them. Because I see somebody... Coming out of a bar, staggering down the street, you know, I want to pull over and find out, is this a diabetic coma or have you got a larger problem? What's going on? Galatians 6.1, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. That's you, by the way, you who are spiritual. Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Being strong in the grace of Christ means I'm forgiven I'm under grace. I have God's favor. Again, if I abide in Christ. Jesus in John 15, 9 says, Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have the Father's commandments and abide in his love. It's all about love. But love has a structure. It has a design. It's built upon the truth. Our world, folks, is full of things that are identified as love, but they bear no resemblance to God's truth. They're just some other form of slavery painted up to look like the, uh, the latest thing. Timothy is to look, for, for lack of a better expression, Timothy's to have a death grip on the grace of Christ. And the second thing Paul exhorts his son Timothy here in verse 2, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In this command, in this one verse, it really is the great commission from Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. Jesus spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And Paul truly is a disciple of Jesus Christ and those who follow Paul's teaching. Will also be the disciples of Jesus Christ. We quoted before First Corinthians eleven one: "Imitate me, as I also imitate Christ." Paul relates this treasure that he has guarded so diligently and entrusted to God's people with the greatest care. He talks about that process. How did he do it? How did he entrust this treasure into the hands of people? In Acts chapter twenty verse eighteen, he's talking to the elders of the church of Ephesus. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is hard... This is hard to do, guys. I mean, I'd love to stand up here today and tell you, you know, go serve the Lord. Tell people what the Lord wants you to tell them. And we can all pretend like it's an easy thing to do. It's not. It's not. You have to be committed. You have got to be prepared. When you leave the house in the morning and you're going to go out and you're going to tell people the truth, you've got to be prepared or you're never going to do it. You will shrink back. You will weasel out. You will not tell them the truth. That's who we are. We have got to be prepared. This guy, he doesn't sound like a man that takes things lightly. And we, we can't take things lightly. Not in this day and age. In verse 2, he says, The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses... Let me tell you what this does not mean. When he says the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, he's not making a reference to the things that Timothy heard him say while a lot of other people were listening also. That's not what he's saying. If you don't look into the language a little bit, the Greek language, you really will miss it. Major difference is the word among many witnesses. These are not simply people who heard the same words as Timothy. These are people that are prepared to testify legally to the truth of Paul's words and even perhaps the consequence of their own lives. Very different thing. These many people, these witnesses, they are the body of Christ. A witness is someone that heard or saw X, Y, and Z. A witness is someone that will stand up and testify publicly at their own risk exactly what they know to be true. Isaiah chapter 43:10 says, "You are my witnesses," says the Lord, "and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no god formed, nor shall there be after me." Great verse. And this verse is it's to the nation of Israel. It's to Jesus specifically. It's also to you. You are his witness. This is the greatest thing that God has called you to be. To stand up and testify. Of the truth. The truth. My wife was testifying of the truth in the gap the other day. She was in there. Trying to steal some clothes at ridiculous prices for for one of my grandchildren, no doubt. And uh, she got into a conversation with a young lady there and come to find out this young lady's a, a believer. And she was able to share with her and encourage her. And it was just, you know, God appointed that opportunity for her to be there and be a witness of the truth. Sad thing about this, you know, is that the Jehovah's Witness selected this verse to name their organization. You know, that doesn't bother me. I mean, you know, the LBGT people stole the, the rainbow. It's okay. It's still God's rainbow. don't have to worry about it. This is who we are. This is the testimony by the Holy Spirit moves the hearts and the minds and the lives of people. So however Timothy understands this instruction, he knows that he's not alone, not even close. Paul is making a request to Timothy to take the things that he's heard and to invest them like one would invest a great a great treasure. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And you know, when we think about teaching, we think about leading leading a Bible study group or teaching a service or standing up in front of people. And that's not the case. I think much more of the real ministry of the body of Christ goes on like my wife did in the gap the other day. That's real ministry. That changes the lives of people. That is instruction. That's powerful. What moms share with their kids when they, you know, when they sit down, when they scrape their knee and they pray with them and they tell them that the Lord's there and he's concerned. That changes the lives of people forever. That's real stuff. and We cannot imagine that the only ministry that's really valuable happens in a church building in Baloney. It's not true. We are the ministry of Christ. The way that we live 24-7. We are his ministry. This word commit in the second part of verse 2, shows up three times in chapter 1. A.T. Robertson, the Greek scholar, says it means to make a deposit like you would with a great treasure. Paul's treasure is the truth as he said to the Ephesian elders in chapter 20, verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men and I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. When I read that verse, I always think about Pastor X. I've been following this guy around for 40 years, and he's doing the same thing every day, every day. He's teaching the same the scripture, the same truth, over and over. He's doing it this morning, out in Marietta, instructing those guys at the conference. Innocent of the blood of all men. And how does this happen? Do we make it happen? Not by our ability. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 says, We do not preach ourselves... But Christ Jesus, the Lord and ourselves, your servants, your bond servants for Jesus sake, for it is God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. How does it happen? not without recognizing God's ability, not without seeking the ability that he provides. We are in the place that the Lord has chosen to reveal his hand to the lost children of men. We are in this place and we are a shrinking minority, aren't we? You see it happening. And certainly, if not in reality and not in real numbers, by the perception of the public, you know, the the media perception, they want us to believe that the moral Christian foundation of this country is shrinking and shrinking and smaller. Who even cares? We don't even worry about them. That's what they want us to think. And it's not true. We are significant. We are powerful because the hand of God is upon our lives. And we need to be heard from. We need to speak. We need to stand up. We need to be counted. We need to do the right thing. I don't necessarily have to wear a sandwich board and walk down the street but I have to be prepared to speak the truth because there are some people that are listening. And the question is, will we invest ourselves in those people? Not everyone can hear the truth. Not even everyone here this morning. But faithful men. Faithful, those who are prepared by the Lord to hear and to receive. How do people in this world Excuse me. how do people in this world respond when they hear the truth of Christ? Do you remember when, back in the book of Genesis, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot went to try and save his sons-in-law. It says in in Genesis 19, 14, Lot went out and he spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. But his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. They think it's a joke. They're not going to get it. Matthew eleven fifteen. 15, what did Jesus always say? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. For me, I want to hear. I want to hear what the Lord says. And I want to speak to people who can hear. I don't know. They don't come labeled. See, I, I'm ready to listen about God. No, it, you know, it's, I'll never forget some years ago, I was in Old Town, Pasadena. And I was uh, on Colorado walking across Fair Oaks towards J. Crew. And I know about all the stores. And, uh, and I'm walking across and I'm just talking to the Lord, Lord, look at all these people. Look at all these people. There've got to be people here that need to hear your truth. The people who need to be saved. And as I crossed over, there's a bus stop right there in Colorado bus stops. Guy gets off. I said, excuse me, would you like to know about God's plan for your life? And the guy goes, oh, I was just asking God to show me his plan for my guy accepted Christ right there insisted on getting down on his knees on the sidewalk to pray and receive Jesus right on. Amazing craziness, you know? And you know how I figured out how to do that? I put it all together in my genius brain. No. no, are you kidding? I had nothing to do with it. You know, it's just fruit jumping off the trees at you. But I did ask God, open a door, show me, direct me, guide me. I like to do that before I get out of bed in the morning. Lord, lead me to a person where i can i can preach the gospel show me he wants to do that but to do that i need to listen i need to hear you notice i mean god did cause wax to form in my ears but it doesn't interfere with me hearing his voice for some reason i need to stop distracting myself i need to you know i need to stop entertaining myself into the pit literally to the corinthians second corinthians 6:12 paul says You are not restricted by us. You are restricted by your own affections. And that's the truth. And, folks, let me tell you that's the problem for the church. Think about that. I need to cultivate the ability to hear the Lord's word. Jeremiah 4 3 says, Thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground, do not sow among thorns, sow for yourself in righteousness reap in mercy break up your fallow ground for it's time to seek the lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you that last part is hosea chapter 10 verse 12 and that's not an easy thing and nobody said it would be easy but it is the thing that i need to do today it doesn't happen by accident it takes an investment it takes a dedicated mindset i start out by recognizing the problem from the solution And then going to the solution continually. It's like dying to self. Newsflash. There are no faithful people who will not deny themselves. There are no faithful people who will not teach others. Every faithful servant of the Lord will invest themselves in the lives of people around them. They'll look for open doors. And we're not speaking about everyone. Again, it's, it's a very small group. But we do invest in people that are not listening sometimes. Jesus did, didn't he? We are always speaking the words of truth. God help us. And so we listen as well. What, What we are here for, certainly not for our own entertainment. We are here for the benefit of other people as the Lord directs us. We're here to be servants. Jesus says, I am among you as one who serves in Luke chapter 22. We are here to do the will of the Father. How that will work out, it really remains to be seen. We are at, folks, I believe, 1159 and 55 seconds of the age of grace. The arms of the Lord are wide open to the world until they're not. And there's a moment in the life of every person where that that happens. And there's a moment in the time of this world where the doors close. Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Today is our great opportunity. Not tomorrow, not yesterday. Today. Hebrews 3.13 says, exhort, encourage one another while it's called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Remember that the enemy is working to help you to find a reason so that you can throw in the towel. He doesn't know who we are like the Lord does. And who are we? My friends, we decide today who we are. What will we do with the opportunity the Lord's placed in our hands, with the treasure that he has invested in us? Hopefully, like the Apostle Paul, we will be innocent of the blood of all men. And responsible for good things on behalf of many. Words are very important. Words are very, very important. They have substance. Some words have more substance. Remember that God used words to create the universe. I want to attach myself to the words of God those words that help me understand who I am and where I am and what I'm here for. And then someday I want to hear the words. With my own ears. And the Lord said. "In Matthew twenty-five, twenty-one, Well done good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. In my case very few. And I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You know the craziest thing about that is that. You know you don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. Thank you Lord. Father we thank you for being here with us today Lord. For your spirit at work through the word of truth. And Father, Lord we, Lord, we want to humble ourselves before you and just seek your favor upon us as your children, Lord, that we would take up the calling to serve your purpose, Lord, and not our own, to honor you with what we do. Father, you know who we are, and we have no ability, Lord, but we believe that you can do great things. We know, we've seen the things you can do. Father, fill us with your spirit and use us. As we're praying together, if there's one person here today that doesn't know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, if you don't know Jesus and the Lord has spoken to your heart, we'd like to challenge you to pray a prayer and ask Christ to come into your heart and to save you, to fill you with his spirit. If you'd like to, you believe you'd like to do that this morning, I'd like to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I want to ask you to forgive me for all of my sins. I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross. And I believe that he rose from the dead. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And give me a new life in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.